Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 179, Data's Day. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek from the first frame to the closing credits, examining it for messages and ideas we can take with us today. This week, Data's Day. That sounds great, you lunkhead. Wait a minute, what? I, I said that sounds great. Lunkhead? Oh, oh, I get it, like in the show. That was in the show. <clears throat> in a moment, John's going to do the trivia thing. But first, uh, I'm going to do the how to get in touch with this thing. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please... Do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, it's time for trivia, you... You can't see that. I might bleep it. I might bleep it. I might not. It depends on how it goes. Anyway, you've got trivia, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, here we go. And actually, I've got a lot of trivia, so get comfortable. Okay. (laughs) Today's episode is written by Harold Apter, and uh, he had the idea of following a personal log. Um, it was decided that ultimately that Data should be the one to follow. Some of the other ideas that were kicked around uh, marrying Picard, uh, having O'Brien marry the young woman we see at the helm since Wesley left. So all of these are sort of in play since about season three. But uh, finally, it was boiled down into the script. Now, speaking of the script, Ken... I have read the first draft of this script um, in its entirety, and I'm here to tell you that there were some very interesting changes between the first draft and what actually aired. So let's just hit a few of the highlights here. Um, The opening scene would have spelled out that uh, Riker shows up for bridge duty after spending the night in someone else's quarters. (laughs) A female someone else. How could they tell? Was he wearing the same clothes he was wearing yesterday? Oh, that's good. That's good that's, then we may know a lot about Riker now. Yeah, right. Uh, this is a bit of a uh, a wink and a nod that uh, Worf gets it, and it takes Data a moment to clue in mm-hmm. about what's been happening there. Yeah. Um, now, the woman getting married in that first draft was named Jean. And, yes, there is indication that Riker knew her, too. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, but they cut that out as well. And uh, Miles O'Brien would have been drunk at one point and then uh, sobered up when he talks to Data. Uh, Tapel was first written uh, with the name Targon, uh, so kind of glad they changed that. Um, the scene in the barbershop would have featured Jordy with dreadlocks in an attempt to look more appealing to women, and he hits up Data for advice. And, of course, this long, ongoing story about Jordy trying to find love. Um, we also would have had a slightly different scene in the ship's store, the bank of replicators, you know. Um, and Data and Jordy would have been looking at a toaster as the wedding gift of choice. The shop would have had attendants and little cards used to call up what you wanted to replicate. Uh, Data's cat was in the original draft, uh, and he was given a name, Scruffy. Also, uh, Martha and George, yes, Martha and George would have uh, been the couple having a baby, and Martha's labor would have been occurring throughout the episode. So that is a a little plot line that was picked up as well, but we would have had a little more about them. Uh, Data would have talked to Guinan about marriage and about how she had been married many times before, but really has no need for it anymore. And we would have seen Data learn John Travolta's moves from Saturday Night Fever. Uh, So that would have actually been in the dance sequences that we have in the show. Uh, The Romulan intrigue plotline pretty much stays the same. So there's a lot of stuff that changed from the first draft 
to the final airing. Um, we've mentioned before that the power to make people isn't actually a thing that ship captains just automatically have. Maybe they do in the future, but not right now anyway. Picard's wedding speech is similar to Kirk's in Balance of Terror, but more importantly, Gene Roddenberry and Majel Barrett were married in August of 1969, shortly after the original series went off the air, in a Shinto ceremony in Japan. Now, it wasn't legally binding in the U.S., but in their famous wedding picture, Majel is dressed in a traditional Japanese wedding dress that is very much in the style that Keiko is wearing in this episode. We have a shout-out to Bruce Maddox, the guy we met in The Measure of a Man. Good to see they've resolved their differences. Maddox doesn't want to take Data apart, so Data is good with being pen pals now. Uh, let's see. We have the return of the Sonobui props used in the transporter room. Uh, we have a plasma lamp on the Romulan bridge. You can still get those from Spencer's. And um, also, there's a, a little bit of trivia you may not know. Data's Day was a name of a drink at Quark's Bar at Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas. It was non-alcoholic since Data is trying to cut back. And uh, we do know by now that Gates McFadden was a choreographer before joining The Next Generation. In fact, I mentioned before that she was the choreographer on the movie Labyrinth. So the dancing was done by her and Brent, except for one overhead shot in which Brent used a double. Um, Not only that, but they actually came up with a lot of their own dialogue for that scene. Now, let's talk about guest stars Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien. Rosalind is from Anaheim, California, and her parents had a restaurant right across from Disneyland. They did quite well with it, actually. Now, her ethnic background is Chinese, and she is one of those actors who is just always working. Uh, Before The Next Generation, she appeared in a lot of guest roles, Emergency, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew Mysteries, The Amazing Spider-Man. But she got a role on the final episode of MASH, which led to her having a regular gig on After MASH. You know who she was, Ken? Klinger's uh, uh, wife. Absolutely. Okay. Mrs. Klinger. Yeah. Um, she also appeared on Max Headroom, Riptide, 30 something. We will have a lot more time to explore her career later. It's no spoiler to say that she is now a part of the family, as it were, and we will be seeing a lot more of her in the future. Speaking of actors who work all the time, look up Shelley Desai, who plays the barber of Vassal. He's Indian by birth and started in B-movies in the 70s. Fast forward to appearances on The 18, Sledgehammer, and yes, Moonlighting. After <laughs> Trek, you will find him on NYPD Blue, Men of a Certain Age, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, even Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Uh, Alan Scarf plays Admiral Mendek. He's British-born with an extensive theater career, and you may have also seen him in shows like Babylon 5, Andromeda, a a Roddenberry title, Stargate Atlantis, uh, Lethal Weapon 3, and just so much more. And don't worry, there will be more of him to discuss in upcoming episodes of Star Trek as well. Finally, Sierra Pachura plays Ambassador Tapel. She has appeared on Quantum Leap, Hill Street Blues, Touched by an Angel, and she was in a weird little cult movie that I remember, California, that's with a K, <laughs> with uh, David Duchovny and future Star Trek oh. actor Michelle Forbes. Oh, okay. First of all, you're leaving out Juliette Lewis and never, ever, ever leave out Juliette Lewis. I can't leave out Juliette Lewis? No, or you Brad can't. Pitt. Or no. Brad Pitt. No, that's right. Uh, but But then yeah. also, man... That man, mm-hmm. wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not a movie for not a movie to watch with the kids. I don't know that I recommend that movie to anyone. I mean, powerful performances, really, mm-hmm. and just. But man, I haven't seen that movie yeah. since I saw it in the theater in the early to mid nineties. And I'm and then good. you were done. I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> There's one sound effect that I'm so tempted to do here, by the way, but I'm not going to because we like our listeners and we want to keep them. Dear Diary, I mean, Dear Commander Maddox, Not much doing today, just listening to an episode of Mission Log. Though, as is customary with my human counterparts, I am really just waiting for my turn to talk. Prologue. Captain's Log. Oh, gotcha! It's Data, the second officer's log, and he's dictating a message to Commander Bruce Maddox back at the Daystrom Institute. Maddox and Data have an agreement. 
Data will send a full day's personal log, emphasis on personal, back to the commander who is trying to learn better how Data thinks and works. Of particular interest will be how Data perceives friendship and personal relationships. About that time, Riker steps onto the bridge to relieve Data from the night shift. It's a big day anyway. Data will be giving away the bride at the marriage of Transporter Chief Miles O'Brien. Meet Keiko, Chief O'Brien's betrothed, only she's got a bad case of wedding day nerves. She tells Data that she wants to call off the wedding, and since it would make her happy, and whatever makes her happy should make O'Brien happy, Data is happy to deliver the news. After all, he introduced the two, and he means a lot to both of them. It does not go as well as he thought it would. Strike one for Data's program to predict and understand human emotional response. Act one, barely into the day, and Data has a crumbling romance to contend with, plus personnel transfers, promotions, a school play, skip that, two chess tournaments, skip those two, the Hindu Festival of Lights, and he is also the liaison for the Vulcan ambassador, Tapel, who has just beamed over and demands to see the captain. She's light on social graces, something even Data notices, and it really rubs Riker the wrong way. He calls her charming. But Data realizes that's a statement of irony. So he's going to try some irony out for himself. In the barber shop, Geordi LaForge is engaged in a little good-natured ribbing with the barber when Data drops by and tries to join in. It doesn't quite work. There's an art to the joking insult that Data has not mastered. In any case, he's there to get some insight on the O'Brien and Keiko relationship. That's right, relationship advice from Geordi. He says, don't worry, Keiko is getting cold feet, Miles overreacted, he's sure the wedding will proceed. In that case, Data finds Worf in the replicator shop, uh, not a shop for buying replicators, but, you know. And they look for gifts for the soon-to-be-maybe-married couple. Let's see, glassware, tchotchkes, junk, none of it really resonating with Data, since he gets that the gift should also reflect the gift giver. Worf isn't really into the wedding thing anyway. There are gifts to worry about, not to mention dancing. Someone say dancing? Next stop, Data goes to see Dr. Crusher. She's a little embarrassed about it, but yes, she was an award-winning dancer before her rewarding career in Starfleet. She'll teach him on the sly. He'll have to wait, though. Captain Picard has an assignment. He wants Data to come up with an assessment of Romulan deployments along the neutral zone. Oh, and BT dubs, we are heading to the neutral zone. Data, who totally swears he's not nervous, looks totally nervous. Act 2, the report is in. Yep, the Romulans are straight up hanging along the neutral zone, just waiting. See if they can test what the Federation is doing. No chance that'll change anytime soon. Data heads back to his quarters to take care of his cat. Yes, Data has a cat. Miles O'Brien drops by to apologize for flying off the handle, only at the news that his wedding was being called off. He also asks Data if he can try to reason with Keiko on his behalf. He's close to her. She confided in him. Data agrees, and he assumes that Keiko is making a rational decision. It shouldn't be difficult. Strike two for Data trying to understand human emotional response. Keiko is in the botanical garden, and she's not happy with Data meddling. He stops by to see Deanna Troy. After all, Miles talks to her while Keiko talks to Data. Data doesn't understand why they won't just talk to each other to work this out. He's trying to make a checklist of what makes a successful marriage, but Deanna just says stay out of it. They need to work it out on their own. Just as Data expresses his own desire to one day marry, he is interrupted by a call from Tapel. Best not to keep the ambassador waiting. When he arrives at her quarters, Data is grilled about the technical details of the Enterprise defense systems. He says he cannot share that information and he will have to inform the captain about her request. Tapel says, aha, that was a test of you not telling me confidential information. See, see how secure and secretive the secrets, which are secret, you can go now. Data leaves in his note for Maddox that he sure wishes he had some gut instinct about that interaction because something sure did not feel right about it. Act 3. How about that dance lesson now? Data shows up at the holodeck to find Dr. Crusher in a recreation of the studio where she practiced, and she's ready to teach him. They go through some simple tap, but he's a quick study, so she just teaches him a whole routine. He has mastered tap dancing. Except that's not how you dance at a wedding. 
Beverly tries to fix this by teaching something uh, simpler, a little more romantic and wedding appropriate. He's really not getting the feel for it at all. He's stepping all over her feet, but he's picking it up a little. Just then a call from sickbay comes in that Beverly has got to return since Ensign Juarez is about to give birth. Perfect chance for Data to stick around in the holodeck with a dance with a virtual partner. When Data does make it back to the bridge, he notices Riker chatting it up with some of the crew, particularly the young woman at Tactical. Just another note for Commander Maddox. People seem to correlate an easygoing manner and humor with sex appeal. Seems to be working for Riker anyway. In a moment, the Enterprise arrives at its destination near the neutral zone, and who should be approaching but a Romulan warbird? And just as a precaution, weapons are activated. Ambassador Tapel calls the Romulan ship, and Admiral Mendek answers. She will beam aboard the Romulan ship, and just in case they thought it went unnoticed, the Romulans know the Enterprise is battle-ready. Just a simple precaution is all, Picard replies. Nothing meant by it. Tapel goes to the transporter room by herself. She insists on no escort or security precautions. When the transporter room calls the bridge, there's a problem. The ambassador's pattern broke down, and the signal was lost. O'Brien reports that Tapel is dead. Act 4. The crew of the Enterprise are shocked and stunned at the loss of the ambassador through a transporter accident. They'll do everything they can to figure out what happened, but Dr. Crusher has only a trace amount of organic materials left behind on the transporter pad. Admiral Mendek isn't too pleased, going so far as accusing Picard of staging the accident so that he himself could step in to negotiate with the Romulans. Picard orders Data to look into the accident further, and Data goes full-on Sherlock Holmes mode. Well, he doesn't break out the pipe and the hat, but he's using the evidence and then eliminating the impossible. A few tests with Chief O'Brien reveals nothing wrong with the transporter. When Data visits Dr. Crusher, though, they try a new line of investigation, comparing what was left behind on the transporter pad with a record of Tapel's DNA from when she first arrived on the Enterprise. It's her, but something's weird. There are errors in the remains, leading Beverly to point out that it's as if this was from a replicator. Act 5. So yeah, Ambassador Tapel was pretty much replaced by some gunk from a replicator. Data says there were weird energy fluctuations and then one less ambassador. Oh, and another thing, a second transporter signal from a Romulan ship. See where this is going? And that Romulan ship has already hightailed it out of there. How you like your red alert now, because that's where we are. The Enterprise is in hot pursuit, and Picard's hail is met with raised weapons. It's Admiral Mendek, and he's certain there is no one captive aboard his ship. Now it's time to welcome yet another Romulan warbird, and Mendek is getting a little pushier about Picard getting out of his business. Is it going to be a fight? Data, in his narration to Maddox, likens this to a game of poker, and one side has got to fold if the other one is bluffing. Mendek says it's not time for a war, not today. And by the way, how would you like to meet Subcommander Selok? She bears a striking resemblance to Tapel. So, see ya. The Romulans go away once the Enterprise busts the retreat at Warp 6. You were probably wondering that whole time that the Enterprise almost started an interplanetary incident. What was up with Keiko? Data hasn't forgotten either. He wants to smooth things over and she's um totally cool now. She's getting married after all. The wedding is back on because it's a wedding. Keiko in traditional Japanese wedding costume and O'Brien in traditional season two Starfleet dress uniform are presided over by Captain Picard. It's a lovely and mercifully short ceremony while Data ruminates on human emotion. No strike three here. He gets love. He gets friendship. And now it's time to dance. He's been practicing after all. And in sickbay, that baby you forgot about from that one mention in the holodeck, the Juarez child was born. Everything is back to normal. Data is back on the shift on the bridge, and there's another full day ahead. He writes to Maddox one more time that being human is not about biology, but about thinking, feeling, and action. In this way, Data hopes to achieve his own humanity. The end. I love the light changes between the day watch and the night watch. Oh, I think we all do. I think that's my favorite. That might actually be my favorite thing that happens on this episode. I don't mean like I don't mean like every everything that happens on the episode, but mm-hmm. we saw a lot more stuff this episode, like that you know, like the dance, uh, the dance area that you were talking about, 
And mm-hmm. uh, we saw sick bay a couple of times. And yeah, the the the, the change uh, between uh, the day watch and the night watch was was there's something there's something really cool about that. It, it's kind of a get to know the Enterprise episode, and there are fun things that feel like um, uh, okay. You've got the uh, the barbershop, and, and we'll talk about the barbershop again. But I, I love the barbershop, and I love the like the the gadget that's actually from engineering where they're, they're changing the hair color right. of the alien behind Jordy. To me, it's just such a fun like a uh, like something from the Jetsons. You know, <laughs> it is very much that. Yes. Although apparently it's not yeah. something that happens yeah. so often because Data looks over and the woman or the person uh, mm-hmm. is, is getting orange hair and he kind of looks again. Right. Like, uh, okay. Really? You're going to wear that to work? Okay. Yep. We'll continue. Yep. Yeah. That's a fun bit. But yeah, I, I like to think about the day and night shift in space um, because frankly, everywhere you look outside, it's just the blackness of space. Unless there's something fun like a, like a supernova or, or a nebula. Cosmic stream fragments, stay away from those. Yeah, yeah. Um, it reminds me that I just heard about this thing that I guess has been happening for a little while now uh, on the inside staterooms of certain cruise ships, uh, Royal Caribbean does it and Disney does it, where they actually have uh, – Disney has like large monitors that are cut out like portholes. Hmm. So if you're in an inside room, they're actually showing you an image of what's outside the ship on that side of the ship. And then Royal, <laughs> Royal takes it a step further. They have these 80-inch monitors, okay? And yeah. they're set up so you have like a full-height window – to mimic what it would look like to have a full height window outside your room. Huh. And they're just showing it. It's just like a camera set up on the side of the ship to show you what it would look like in real time. I think that's <laughs> such a neat idea. So <laughs> It's an interesting idea. Yeah. Could, can you yeah. also play movies? Oh, that would be cool too. Well, that would be cool. I'm thinking if you're going to do that, because what if I get seasick? Mm-hmm. What if I actually ask for one of those inside rooms? Because I thought I'll be fine as long as I don't have to mm-hmm. see. Oh, you know, like that. <laughs> right. Hey, I have a question. Uh, so you, yep. so this is the first time we've seen Spot. Scruffy. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. It is the first time that we've seen Data's cat. Yeah, that that, that is one pampered feline. Mm-hmm. Because because what do you, what, which one did he order for him? Uh, feline supplement. Seventy four. Oh, uh, Seventy four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he paused yeah. to think about it, which also strikes me as odd because Data's a computer, so you would think he would know automatically which one he should give him unless he's thinking, Well, I would be in the mood for tuna today. I think Spot would be too. So let me give him feline, oh which one was tuna? Oh yes, yeah, seventy four. It just struck me as kind right. of it, there's there's a lot there to consider, uh, including the fact that um the cat doesn't have a name at this point. I don't think that's actually yeah, the yeah. one who plays Spot though. I mean he might have he might have had Scruffy. And then gotten spot yeah. later because that looked like a different cat to me. The uh, the cat does change later. No, yeah. there you go. I see. Aha. See. Mm-hmm. Tell mm-hmm. me I don't pay attention. Yeah, which actually <laughs> makes you wonder where that cat went. And all I can think is it's hanging out with the puppies. It's hanging out with the puppies, mm-hmm. dude. Exactly. Okay. Hanging the, out. They're just hanging out. They're in playing the, in the shelter that is okay. below decks, right next to the KP section. <laughs> okay. Because that's where they keep Good. all the things they don't Good. care Good. about. Yeah. Oh, I, I forgot to mention that in the barbershop, I love the the 24th century version of the barbershop poles. I, to- I really would love to own one of those. Totally miss that. And can I tell you, I watched this episode like four times this week. Oh, you missed the oh oh. I, missed so the, I have like to go the, back and watch it again now because I want to see that. It, it's an etched glass. Uh, you've got two of them, one on either side of the room. It's mm-hmm. like a, a frosted glass thing, just with the the, the sort of the hint of the idea of a barber pole, but with a Starfleet logo in the middle of it. It's really cool. All right. It, I'll, it just I'll, fits in beautifully. I'll take a look. Yeah. What is it with the enterprise computer? Um, <laughs> Data's like, uh, I need a dance partner. Okay. Here's an incredibly gorgeous woman. And we might as well just play that jazzy music that they used on the original series for Muds women. I mean, like, it's, well, it's like minuet all over again. It's so, it's such a strange he, shift in tone when she shows up. He did ask for a female and, mm-hmm. and, uh, Crusher had already asked him to play, isn't it romantic? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I'm not saying, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but I mean, there were, there were a couple of things that might lead the computer to that, that way. It's like the computer is five steps ahead, though. It's like the computer is expecting Riker. 
<laughs> to come in there. That's you quite know? possible. That's quite possible. Yeah. And speaking of things that are weird, a little bit out of sorts here, what's wrong with Picard in this episode? What do you so mean? So he's, well, he's usually the one who is three steps ahead of everybody and everything. But there isn't the slightest hint that he or anyone else has questions about Tapel's identity or mission or yeah. or anything. Yeah, actually, what I was wondering is how long has this con been going on? Because okay, and I would I would guess decades. Well, yeah. it would have to be decades, right? Because she yeah. is a Vulcan ambassador, mm-hmm. which means at some point she has to have come from Vulcan. And she has yeah. to have been checked by people on Vulcan, right? And she's like, yeah. she's now part of this yeah. whole thing where it's like, and, and really this whole thing is just about getting her back into Romulan space, right? And if mm-hmm. and if they mm-hmm. have to make it look like a war, well, we'd rather not, it not look like a war, make it look like an accident. But really, we're trying to get her back because we need all the information that she has. She she reminds me of like those movies where where they're like, all right, you're going behind enemy lines. And if you get lost, we don't know you, right? And then we're following right, that right. guy, and then his handler dies, and so it turns out nobody knows him. That so could have happened to her. I don't understand. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, this has to have mm-hmm. been, as you say, decades. And then how do you set that up, that rendezvous? Like, okay, you go ahead, go over there, uh, grow up on Vulcan, <laughs> but remember stuff for us, and we'll meet <laughs> back here in 75 yeah. years. Yeah. I have no idea how this worked. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I did have another question about the Vulcan thing. And of course she's not really Vulcan. So, you know, she lies all the way through it, but I love the fact that, uh, that mm-hmm. data is like, well, you know, since Vulcans are incapable of lying, man, they're like the Benny Gesserit, but better, you know, I mean, <laughs> cause even an Android who has absolutely no reason to buy the Vulcan hype totally buys right. the Vulcan hype. He doesn't oh, yeah. even say, yeah. you know, even the Vulcans who, who try not to lie or who train themselves not to lie. Oh, no, Vulcans are incapable of lying. Okay, biologically, can you tell me why? Well, no, biologically, there's no reason. But but it's true because right. everybody says so. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> right. Oh, right. well, good. I'm glad we have you here, Sherlock. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way. No, that's. I, I think that's great. I, uh, I I move this note out of order, and I apologize. It goes back to the dancing. Does okay. Data always have his tap shoes on? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted just wanted to make sure because he he goes into he's like walking around. Yeah. Goes to the holodeck. He he opens the door. Now, now Doctor Crusher, who is the trained dancer, she has changed into her tap shoes. She's ready to go. She's got the towel. She's like, oh, here we go. We're gonna learn. Data just walks in, mm-hmm. having no idea what he's going to learn. Yeah. But he's got tap shoes on. Well, here's the thing though: the the whole Enterprise is carpeted, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe he does. Oh, so you get away with it? Maybe yeah. they all do. Just in okay. case. Yeah, that's <laughs> that true. It can actually be that's a thing. very true. The only time you'd have to worry about it, I think, is uh, on the holodeck. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Because not everything yeah. on the holodeck is carpeted. In fact, usually it seems it's either grass, which, of course, would be tap shoes would be fine, or like, you know, right. Dixon Hill's office wasn't carpeted. That would have actually been very funny in that scene. <laughs> Everybody's walking around Dixon Hill's office. Yeah. You know, that would have been good. Yeah. That would have been yeah. kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> um, now, now I know that we're going to talk about the uh, the replicator in a little bit and the the transporter. Yeah. But I, I thought it was interesting that Beverly points out that the sample of Tapel found on the transporter pad has several single bit errors, like it was replicated. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, well, since these are similar technologies, the replicator and the transporter. It may not be such a good thing that we accept that the replicator just makes mistakes all over the place. You know, I was thinking not, about I was thinking about that like like sort of like um, how upset people get about genetically modified foods, right? Right. That's exactly right. like so. It's yeah. missing little bits here and there. Oh, really? Like the bits mm. that are supposed to like not give us cancer? Like those bits? <laughs> <laughs> is it missing? Right. Is it missing the the protein bits? What is it? We're yeah. eating that, not to fell though. I mean, we're not not we're not eating stuff no, we find on the no, transporter. No, no, no. Thank no, goodness, right. but yeah, yeah. R- replicated yeah. meat. The- it's good for the environment Ooh. and okay for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just perfectly okay. <laughs> um, 
Now, and, and I think we mentioned it uh, at least one time before about how, you know, next generation, we we really dialed back the Ferengi as the big bad. And we brought the Romulans back and made them the big bad. And, and man, they are on this path to constantly show up, make threats, and then go away. Dear Commander Maddox, I have still not received a response to my last letter. I mean, it is not like I am constantly refreshing my email, slowing down other processes, and risking the mission for this week. But, seriously, how hard is it to tap out a quick reply? So you mentioned this in the recap. Talk to me about what good gift giving is and a post-scarcity economy. Mm. When, when the parents are standing there with the kid and he sees the stuffed rabbit generated literally from nothing, they didn't even pick it out for him. They just took him to the room where, you know, anything can be made. Yeah. I, I found myself wondering what the value of that thing was. And then when Worf is looking through like a catalog of just, you know, stuff, I think you called it junk. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't feel that yeah. way about presents that people give me. I don't feel that way about, you know, I got married. There are wedding presents that I treasure, absolutely treasure, because, mm-hmm. you know, they were from uh, special people and, they, and, they, and you know, the things, uh, you know, they, they meant a heck of a lot. But if you could just push a button and get whatever you want to, then what's the point of 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 of, of giving a gift at that point? And I, you know, kind of kind of like you, I thought I could see Miles taking that you know crystal swan from Worf and saying, "Oh, thank you very much for for this." And I'm just going to be putting it right back in the matter reclamator, <laughs> so it can make right. something else for somebody else that they don't want, or you know, something that yeah. I might might want. Um, Data does make an interesting point. He says uh, something to the effect of I was given to understand that the gift was supposed to reflect the person giving it. Getting something just because, you know, like, and Worf's, I mean, but the thing is, Worf has already telegraphed that he's really not into it anyway. He's like, yeah, this is a human thing. I've seen my parents give these. Quick question, are the Roshenkos that much into crystal swans that they just give them for every wedding? (laughs) Uh, It's another thing that I had. There was actually one thing, though, that it reminded me of, and this is such a weird, like, connection. I think it's probably only because I watched it about three weeks ago. Um, Mm -hmm. Susan Alexander Kane, uh, Charles' uh, Charles' second wife and Citizen Kane, Mm -hmm. uh, one of her biggest complaints, and she's got a lot, you know, towards the end of their marriage, but uh, one of her biggest complaints is that he, he will buy her anything, he will buy her everything, but he never gives her anything of his or anything that is like of himself mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. I kind of wondered if this spoke to the outsider feeling that Data said that he and Worf shared. Maybe Worf, you know, can't even look through it. Maybe it just doesn't even register at all for Worf that it should be something that has to do with them because he feels so outside this whole process anyway. It just, it, it, was, a, it was a weird, like, what is that? Like maybe a 45 second scene. Right. And, and right. yet it, it was really seeing the rabbit generated out of nothing. And then here, son, Oh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> that meant so little to you yeah. in the moment that, that was being created, except that you knew that it was going to make me happy, and maybe that's part of it. I don't know. It it, it was a it it obviously set up a lot of uh, a lot of questions and a lot of thought for me. It's it's just like the one my father replicated for me yeah. in this room where he could literally <laughs> get anything at any time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. Now, um, you made me think of something because you you started this by asking um, about sort of the implication here, the value of gift giving in the post-scarcity economy. And we can kind of tie that back to some other conversations that we've had about um, labor and and value in this version of the 24th century. So we talked about things like – uh, okay, the Picard family still makes wine, and they do it the old-fashioned way. And they can do that because, well, A, they like it, and B, they don't have to worry about other things. Right. They don't have to worry about you know any other material needs. And we talked about the idea of, well, Riker can make terrible eggs in his room um, <laughs> because it's sort of a luxury and right. it's a luxury to be able to do these things. So maybe the bright side of looking at this is that in that post-scarcity economy, kind of like Data learned that humanity isn't 
it isn't a thing that you are, but rather a thing that you do. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this idea that gifts that are experiences are more valued than gifts that are things. So if you give somebody, actually, I just did this a few weeks ago with a, a friend of mine. Um, a bunch of us uh, did a cooking class together. Mm. And the idea was that we didn't want to get a thing and say, here, here's your thing. And now you're going to forget that thing as it sits on your shelf and collects dust. But we wanted to do something. We had to have an experience together. So we did that and it was a blast. And, and maybe that's the idea is that somewhere down the road when all these material needs are taken care of, mm-hmm. that the, the gift giving the actual gift really isn't I – mean, you've really devalued it by the time you can replicate anything out of a catalog, kind of a you know boring glassware catalog uh, as it is. So I, I don't know. I, maybe, there's, maybe there's some sort of a, a silver lining around that cloud. Maybe we're too stuck in the idea of actually looking at the value of the gift itself. Well, I'm not, I mean, don't misunderstand me when I say what's the value of gift giving. I don't mean like, well, $500, but what's $500 when you can just print $500? I mean, I think it's more the whole thing that Worf is just sitting there flipping through pages going, no, 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 no. Okay, that'll do. I mean, especially, I mean, it it, it would be a bit different. Like we know that data paints, if Data mm-hmm. gave them a painting mm-hmm. that he had made, I mean, I'm not saying there's no value in giving gifts to people by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, especially if it's something, as Data said, if it's something that's reflective of you and how much whatever the thing is means to you, yeah. it, I mean, and the event itself means to them and, you know, all that stuff. I don't know. I, I dated somebody years ago who I got at what I thought was a very beautiful necklace. And then uh, probably six months later, I got her a book, and it was one of my favorite mm-hmm. books. And guess which one she liked best? Mm-hmm. And it was because yeah. it was it was one of my favorite books, and I and I wanted to you know sort of share that part with her. And she didn't give the necklace back, <laughs> right? <laughs> but right. I mean, you know, I mean, right. I, I'm, I don't misunderstand when I say what's the value. I don't mean like, well, if you know, if anybody can print a thousand dollars, then what good's a thousand dollars? Especially when there's yeah. no money. I just mean it. Just that whole that whole moment. Uh, uh, opened up a lot of a lot of questions for me. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. It, it just, I, I think it's interesting that it changes it changes the emphasis on what is important about the gift. I think it's really cool. It's a, it's a really interesting idea to follow. And I, I mean, I thought the idea of a replicator center at all was interesting because so far replicators are everywhere. Mm-hmm. On the ship, they're they're in people's quarters. Data can get cat food out of one. Uh, the captain's got one. He can get tea out of. They're in the lounges, bars, restaurants. I presume you've got multiple holodecks that use a similar kind of technology. Why would you need to go to a place then that is a store full of replicators? Because you've got replicators literally anywhere. Well, we have to assume that the it makes the stuff out of something, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if everybody had a replicator, because like everybody's got a replicator, apparently they can make food or coffee or you know uh, consumables, let's say. Sure. But you know, let's say everybody. I don't know. There's a, there's suddenly there's a new Furby craze, right? <laughs> so everybody wants Furbies yeah, right. or, or mechanical tribbles because you don't want the trouble with tribbles that you normally get. No, no. But you know, yeah. like a mechanical tribble or something like that. And so everybody starts making tons of tribbles because it would be just like real tribbles. And then all of a sudden, the ship runs out of whatever it is that feeds those things. I mean, are we assuming there's a finite amount of whatever that actually goes into replicating that thing? Well, but see, I wouldn't think that there is because the, the replicator isn't just like digging out of a vat. How do you know? Like, no, <laughs> the replicator is making physical objects from energy. It's using the old E equals MC squared. Energy is matter at the speed of light squared. So really, it's we know using that. we know that I'm uh, I'm I'm going with it. That's what I've read. <laughs> okay, okay. In this in this totally fictional technology that does right. not exist. Okay. Um, but yeah, the the idea that the the power source of the enterprise is just a nearly unlimited supply of energy, and you can use that energy to then manifest physical objects, anything right. from say a stuffed rabbit to a steak. Um. So yeah, I mean the, the, these things are everywhere, and you you could pretty much create anything out of them. What I do really like about this idea, though, I, I have too much stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in a room right now that just has too much stuff, and I would love it if I could just dematerialize the things that I don't want around, around me right now, <laughs> kind of catalog it, 
and then rematerialize it later when I need it. Yeah. You know, just think. So uh, all this stuff that Miles and Keiko are going to get, Worf's going to show up with like the glass swan and they're going to be like, oh, that's great, Worf. Thank you for the glass swan. We will always remember that. All you have to do is go back to your quarters, dematerialize it. Yep. Put a put a tag, put like a reminder that says when Worf comes over, <laughs> rematerialize, rematerialize that glass swan. Or like, oh, we love this thing. It stays right here all the time. Yeah. You yeah. you remind me actually of an Eddie Izzard uh, bit where he was talking about I can't remember which one it was but he was talking about different deities and he was talking about this one who's like God of creation and destruction which is good you don't just want to be mm-hmm. the God of creation because you make something he's like is that good no nope. okay it's gone whereas if you're just the God of creation is that good no nope. uh, I'm running out of places to keep all this stuff <laughs> right yeah right right, right. um. I, I mentioned something about this earlier. We were talking about the the hair scene, the changing the colors of the hair, and and I really I don't mean this as a slight on this episode, but I, I was actually thinking of Patrick Stewart's guest role on Saturday Night Live not long ago because it, it's kind of made the rounds again on the internet. It's just popping up everywhere. And remember, they did the Love Boat parody. I do not remember so, this at all, but I'm kind of looking forward oh. to seeing it now. Okay, so in 1994, Patrick Stewart hosted Saturday Night Live, and they did Love Boat the Next Generation. Okay. So it was, you, you know, Oh, wait, I do remember this. Set a course for love. Yeah, yeah love, okay. right. So right. it was Patrick Stewart as, you know, Captain Steubing, and then you had, of course, like, Jordy as Isaac, <laughs> you know. Right. And so it's a great bit. And sure, that was a parody, but I mean, I, I think what's kind of fun about this episode is that this is the Enterprise at leisure. Sure, there's the B-plot with the Romulan intrigue, but everything else about this is romance, and you have the couple that broke up and then has to get together, and you've got babies being born, you've got dancing. It is the love boat. It, it is <laughs> this kind of episode like that, but like I said, it is not. it's not to take away from it, because I like... I like diffusing what's going on on Star Trek every now and then, mm-hmm. you know, and this is kind of a, a fun way to do that. Um, but let's talk about something a little more serious. Data says that it's a good thing he doesn't have the distraction of emotion or otherwise he would be nervous as he looks around the bridge worriedly and taps his fingers on the console without even realizing it. Yeah. And and similarly, Data has a gut feeling about Tapel's inquiry. No, he doesn't. He wishes he, he did. doesn't. He wishes he did. I wish uh, I had okay. intuition because if I did, I have a hunch that I would have a hunch right now. Is basically what he says. So yes, of course he does. You're mm-hmm. gonna are you gonna make me say it out loud? Data has emotions. <laughs> well, I, I think the more important thing is that he walks away telling himself that he didn't have a gut reaction about that but thank goodness that little bit of inquiry is over so now he doesn't have to tell his captain what's up with that yeah i don't know so remember when i said earlier what is up with picard in this episode that is a what is up with picard and a actually what is up with data moment no it's very much a what is up with data moment but there are a few of those in this episode i still say picard is blameless in this I mean, you know what happens when an ambassador comes on the show or when an ambassador comes on the Enterprise. <laughs> you roll over and take it. Whatever the ambassador says, that's what you have to do. And you might have to grit your teeth and you might have to, you know, walk away angrily. But you you do whatever they say. And as we've established, this is a really long con. I mean, it has to be. Yeah. Unless yeah. she just showed up someplace like, no, I'm totally from Vulcan. Don't bother calling them. Look, I'm a Vulcan. I can't be lying about this. Don't bother calling she, anybody. She, she even has the hat with the ears cut out so you can see at all times that's, that she's Vulcan. That's true. See yeah. my ears? I'm totally Vulcan. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I say Picard's blameless in this, but yes, the fact that Data didn't go ahead and that tattle was a little surprising. He should have. He he really should have. Well, yeah. we, can talk about, we can talk about other things that maybe or maybe he shouldn't have done uh, somewhere along the way. Data ponders getting married. Yeah, he thinks about it from time to time. What about sure. that? Yeah. yeah, it's it's weird. Mm-hmm. I think unless it's just you know part of the range of human experiences uh, that he figures if he's going to be human, if he's going to grow into whatever humanity is, that's something he'll, he'll need to do or want to do at some point. I guess you could almost ask yourself then if if Data has a do we chalk it up as a desire to get married or is it just sort of checking one more thing off the checklist of well here's what humans do. They get married, so yeah. I'll, I'll do that. Like, well, which, I mean, except he's not trying to do it right away. He says it's something that he's contemplated 
he's what what, did he, what was the exact wording? It's not like I've entertained the possibility. It wasn't that I you know have a desire to. It's just he has considered mm-hmm. the possibility that he might. I think is what he said. Right. So right. We don't know that it's a desire necessarily. Yeah, you're right. It, well, we don't know. We'll have to check yeah. back. If he ever gets married, we'll have to ask him why. We, we will. We will have to do that. Um, and there's a little bit here that I, I think was a, 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 almost a little bit of a throwaway, but uh, Data and his report to Commander Maddox saying that he correlates or he recognizes a correlation between humor and sex. Data is admiring Riker chatted up with the bridge crew, especially the redhead at Tactical Station. And and actually, I, I kind of love that Riker is just hanging out with his back to the view screen, couldn't care less about the job. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I would imagine there's a lot of downtime on the Enterprise because as we've said before, you know, we're seeing 48 minutes out of the, the one week of time that something is going on on the Enterprise. Right. So all the other hours, all the other days, we can presume from week to week, there's really nothing exciting enough to film and make into a TV show. <laughs> we're, we're doing this pretense of, of this being real, being a real job. You know? Right. Um, but it was interesting to me, you know, Data realizes that Riker has a thing for the ladies. He gets this. And, and that's one of the reasons I brought up in the original uh, draft of the script that we mentioned two people two who are not Troy in the script that Riker has gotten to know. Um, but we're back again at the end with Riker and Troy hanging out at the wedding and looking like, you know, well, this is what couples do as they go to the wedding together. I- I'm beginning to think there's a whole lot not said about this relationship and sex in the 24th century. I mean, we, we've kind of gone back and forth with Riker, Riker and Troy just saying up and down to anybody who listened, we're friends, we work together, we used to have a thing, it was a thing, it's not a thing. And then as soon as we beam down to Beta Z, Riker goes in for the kiss. And clearly there is a, a tender emotional bond that they have, particularly when uh, Deanna was freaking out last week during the loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something else here with Riker this is pretty much just a known thing that Riker will just hit on the ladies because that's who Riker is and that's what Riker does. And we're not casting any judgments on that because that's not what a good robot would do. Dear Commander Maddox, I do not think that this is working out. It is not you. It is me, and your inability to deal with me. Ask yourself, Bruce, which is worse, wanting emotions and not having them? Or having emotions, and hiding them away? I am sorry, but we are through. Time sure flies. Data's day, just about done. Uh, I'm looking forward to next year's Data's day, and I've got the perfect gift for you to throw away, by the way. For the next day to stay. <laughs> very excited about that it. beautiful. Picked it out, and uh, it'll look perfect yeah. at the bottom of your bin. Um, <laughs> Data's Day, John. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Well, you know what? This is a fun, light episode that really doesn't belong here. Hmm. <laughs> you know? And it's, it is absolutely perfect for season one. I mean, hmm. imagine if this had shown up early enough in, in season one. Um, now, and it's not just the data plot line that, that doesn't belong here. It really is everything. It's getting to know the crew. It's seeing how things on the Enterprise work. It's the small Romulan B plot where, like I said earlier here that we've talked about it before, the Romulans show up. Oh, we're you better watch out for us because we're dangerous. Uh, see ya. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> so th- this is a perfect thing to drop into season one. We don't know enough of how the Enterprise works and and who their enemies are and what the the universe is like in the twenty fourth century. But we've already seen Data do some weird, twisted stuff. We've mm. seen him pull a gun and try to kill Kivas Fajo, and we've seen him wrestle with what what seem like emotions, even if we say they're Android emotions or data emotions, whatever it is. Uh, there have been all these interesting complexities added to data's character mm-hmm. that 
I think get sort of pushed aside for this episode. So I'm going to very, very marginally say that this works, but it only works if you watch it out of order with the rest of the series. Well, I think it also works if you love data. Um, if mm-hmm. you're and if you're and if you're looking for a light episode, I mean, I personally, I, I, I don't want to say that I that it didn't work for me, but it didn't work for me. I mean, and and yet there are messages, there are parts of it that actually do work for me. But uh, he's got a bit of Gumbyitis here, or, or Bonesitis. Mm-hmm. He's got a bit of the Gumbification thing. Um, I don't buy that Data is too dumb for this. Oh, sure, I'll talk to Miles for you, Keiko. I don't think Riker really thinks Tafel is charming. Oh, sure, I'll talk to Keiko for you, Miles. I mean, it's you know, it's like we've seen him learn nuance to this point. Uh, the fact yeah. that he uses some big convoluted term for wild goose chase. I mean, I understand what we're doing. I understand why we're doing it, but you're right. It's too late at this point to have him be this goofy, except that, you know, well, we need him to be this goofy this week, so we're going to have him be this goofy this week. That said, though, I mean, there are things like like not learning that Beverly can actually dance until end of the fourth season is is kind of actually cool. Because we think we know these characters. We think we know mm-hmm. everything there is mm-hmm. to know about these characters. And all of a sudden, there's that. And you're like, where did that come from? Oh, okay, but that's still kind of neat. Okay, now we know this new thing about her that we didn't know before. Data says at the end that he understands love and he understands friendship, but he doesn't understand hate and he doesn't understand anger. Okay, well, first of all, then Data has emotions. But second, <laughs> how can he understand love and uh, love and friendship and not understand hate and anger, especially where we do know that he tried to kill Kivas Faggio, or at least we are under the impression he tried to kill Kivas Faggio? And how can he understand love and friendship but not understand why Miles and Keiko shouldn't be talking to each other rather than yeah. him running, you know, interference? I mean, and he does – he's learned enough subtlety just over the time that we've seen him uh, that a lot of this stuff unfortunately just doesn't – I it's – I mean, look, like I said, I watched it like four times. So obviously it didn't make me want to like, you know, claw my eyes out and go running screaming. It's not it's it's not the worst episode of Star Trek that you'll ever see. But yeah. it's I mean, and if you have an affinity for data and certainly if you have an affinity for Brent, Brent Spiner as well. I mean, yeah. there, there's there, there's there are things that he does that you can appreciate the comedy of it. The only problem is, as you said, it's coming too late. The whole smile, the painted on smile that he has during the whole dance it's right. a it's a funny face. Now yep. we've seen him raise an eyebrow before. Mm-hmm. We've seen him sort of you know. We've seen him have more subtle uh, <laughs> facial gestures, certainly than he does when somebody says "smile" and he smiles like you know, like like a Jimmy Carter bobblehead. Um, we've seen him nervously look around the bridge and tap his fingers. You yeah, know, I can't remember which subtle... episode that was. Which that was <laughs> right. It's been a while, <laughs> but yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, it's I don't I don't want to nitpick this episode. I don't want to not like this episode. I don't want to say the episode doesn't work, but I just I just I just don't think it does. Well, which it, is it's not to say not an episode of great consequence, and it's not an episode with a lot of plot. Although I felt like as I was writing the recap, man, there's a lot happening here. This is not a lot going on. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, the problem is, yeah, it, it is fun and it's light, but it doesn't reveal things like revealing that uh, Beverly is a dancer is great, mm-hmm. but it doesn't reveal enough about data. Seeing as how we've really gotten to know data over the last three and a half years right. of, uh, of how long this episode has run. And I feel like that there are and I might be wrong here, but I'm just sort of kind of putting the pieces together over what I've read about the episode. I feel like you're right on the money by saying that if you like Brent Spiner, if you like data, there are things in this episode to like. So when you say data, people say, oh, the cat and oh, dancing. Yes. Yeah. Those are things that happen and those are memorable things, but it doesn't necessarily make for a great episode of Star Trek. And if our whole idea is to say in, in our show, what is it that we are trying to say with this show what is it we're trying to say about humanity or meaning or what is star trek trying to say as a whole about the world this probably isn't that episode (laughs) you know yeah i I would say that for all of the people who said that we should have just you know turned off our brains and really enjoyed i mud Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, they're, they're they're firing up the word processor again it's really funny. It's really funny. We got um, some tweets from a listener that I thought were really funny right before we recorded this. Uh, Rose, 
who wrote, I'm only 18, and even I know you don't send someone else to cancel a wedding, especially <laughs> not data. Keiko, what are you doing? <laughs> nice, nice. And, and then, she, oh, and, it, and it, she goes on to say, Keiko deals with cold feet like a 12-year-old deals with parents. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> That's nice. I like Some that. Some great stuff. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. I got I, I, I to gotta disagree with you on one thing, though. I do believe mm-hmm. that there are messages here. Um, okay. So when you say, is, is this an episode that, you know, really does what Star Trek, it may sound crazy, but I, I feel like the like maybe the chief message here, and it's only because of the way the story was crafted, um, work isn't everything. Uh, and okay. you, you mentioned before, the B plot is the Romulans, and that's mm-hmm. crazy. That yeah, is right. absolutely insane. The A plot in this episode is emotional and friendly and learning. Keiko and Miles nearly break up. Worf's got a discomfort around weddings. Data's learning to dance. I mean, this is usually mm-hmm. like group laugh stuff or filler stuff, you know. But this yeah. is actually this is the important stuff. This the, yeah. the, these are actually the things. And you know, whatever's going on with the Vulcan ambassador and the Romulans, and <gasps> the Vulcan ambassador is a Romulan. That's B plot. <laughs> You know, and and we get that from yeah. Picard too at the very end when he's like, "Yeah, so you know, we thought uh, we thought we were doing something important by by not dying out there, but uh, look, there's a baby, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of feels like there might be a second layer here as well of not assuming that what you know is actually what you know. Uh, the Vulcan is a Romulan. Vulcans never lie, of course, which you know we we've decided that, and so that sort of eliminates all the questioning of whatever's going on with Tapel, which is of course a, a fictional character. It turns out. Um, Keiko thinks she's going to be happier when she's not married. I mean, you would think that being in the neutral zone with the Romulan ships bearing down would be the most important thing. But again, the most important thing here is Data learning to dance and Keiko and Miles figuring each other out. It's, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not, it is not a completely devoid of message episode, I don't think, even if the message is not, the message is almost in the way the story is told rather than the story that they're telling. Which I find, which, yeah. which I find interesting, and um, I want it to be a tiny bit better, though. Unfortunately, but what about you? Were there messages and such that you picked up? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I would totally agree with uh, with what you picked out. I mean, the, the thing about Data's journey is the sort of the the thing that we all sort of know intuitively. Human emotions are a tricky minefield, and, and they can't be learned. And they can't be guessing. You can't just go down the checklist. Uh, but rather, it's a thing that is navigated with a sense of compassion and forgiveness and understanding. The, those are the traits of humanity that he is working on through the episode. So this is kind of a, a nice, pleasant message to see. And, and at the end, he really does sum it up. I mean, I would say the takeaways there are change, grow, and be more than you are. That's a very Star Trek thing to say, mm-hmm. e- even if this is not a very Star Trek episode of Star Trek. To me, it's still more Love Boat episode of Star Trek, but that's okay. <laughs> but it's you perfectly love, all right. You are planning a Love Boat podcast. I, you know, I, just, I, I don't think you're insulting anything. I think if I said this was a Love Boat episode of Star Trek, then people might say, hey, he's insulting it. But you. Right. Right. No, totally fine with that. You say that and people are like, wow, I should give it a fifth watch. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, it it does work on those levels. I, I just think I think that we would have more praise for this episode if it had occurred at a different time in the running order. Sure. Uh, next gen um but but the messages are there and they're 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 certainly valuable and and they're kind of easy to swallow you know which is kind of the nice part about watching the episode because like we said it's a very pleasant episode to watch may just not be a great episode to watch i think we should do that thing that we do and then you know do that other thing that we do i love both of those things Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. The executive producer is Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com. Lots to see there, including links to the Roddenberry store, upcoming projects, and, of course, the Roddenberry Foundation. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, The Wounded. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory. 
free to download at kitheory.com. Dearest Bruce, funny story. Your out-of-office replies ended up in my spam folder. I really should check that from time to time. Please disregard the last 17 messages I sent. And the broken locket. I look forward to your reply when you return. End transmission.